0: Welcome back. Big shout out to Willie D, man. i am getting a lot of compliments on his uh, really great theme theme music for the Vintage Stories podcast. Today on the episode, uh, we have Jenny Dobson, great old friend, probably my biggest mentor in winemaking, and somebody who always has an interesting point of view, uh, you know, her passion and experience just sort of oozes through the sound waves on this one. I hope you guys enjoy it, but uh, I did want to mention to start off that we are launching a wine club, Uh, a real wine club, not one of these ones, sign up and we'll get you, send you a few emails and might give you a discount or let you know about something, a real wine club. You sign up, uh, there's going to be sort of two versions of it, one in the US where you get a couple cases a year, Uh, well actually two sets of 15 bottles. Uh, delivered to all 50 states in the U.S., which is a goddamn miracle if you know anything about uh, wine shipping in America. So we're really excited to be offering that soon. Uh, You will be getting not only a discount, but uh, a look at some of these reserve wines that we've held off and held in the library stock, new releases as well, some stuff, for instance, in the U.S. that I never released in the States, like the Amplified Red, just because You know, timing and all these kind of little things that work out in the wine business world. Um, And then the New Zealand version, which we're going to have a couple options uh, where you can do like three bottles every three months, or you can do six bottles every three months. So maybe by the time some of you guys listen to this, it'll be up there. In the meantime, uh, just go to decimalwines.com, use the promo code DB Podcast, get 10% off your first order. So that's pretty good. But today... The podcast. We are still amidst this Giblet Gravels conversation. Uh, we might get one more interview out of it. Uh, I've sort of used it to my advantage to talk to some of the most interesting winemakers and viticulturist Hawks Bay has to offer because they do all seem to have some connection to this unique appellation. Uh, but so go to the Giblet Gravels website, gibletgravels.com. Uh, click on about read about what what I'm talking about, why it's such a special little plot of soil, uh, that former riverbed that is uh, just really young former riverbed and um, then also go to their shop that they have on there and check out the AVS annual vintage selection. There's some really uh, just an incredible grouping of producers and wines that you won't be able to find anywhere else put together like that uh, all from one vintage. Sort of a great gift as well if you're looking to surprise uh, somebody who would be after a unique collection like this. It's uh, blended reds and Syrah, it's uh, it's pretty awesome and who knows maybe one day Decibel will make an angle of vintage selection. I am now, as of 2016, officially in the Giblet Gravels even though I was working with Giblet Gravels Fruit for many years before that. Uh, I've sort of made the leap and joined, joined them and their great association. So hopefully one day, but you know, just like all the stuff with wine writers and um, magazines, I don't tend to enter many shows or awards, Uh, you know, sometimes it's a bit of fun to go into competition with your buddies, but um, that's not normally what I do. I do like wine writers, I do read wine writers, I think you can, you know, get used to their palate and maybe trust them for if you like what they write about and you like what wines they score high or write you know metal or whatever they want to call it uh maybe it's good to have a trusted source out there and then obviously just to learn about regions and things like that so people like to knock robert parker he certainly changed the game uh, in the old world and definitely in california and some places in the new other parts of the new world as well for these Big giant bomb wines that are obviously impressive, but it's a style, and if you like that style, you trust Parker. Uh, when he was reviewing all these wines, he's only doing a small bit now. He's got quite a, a, an elaborate team and a, a team of people that are uh, really different these days and have different style palettes than he does. So, uh, but you know, I, I only mention this because I just you know got some great news that we had. Uh, made the editor's choice for Wine Enthusiast Magazine and it's great it's great to be have your Pinot recognized with some of the, the best ones out there uh, but you know you can't be recognized unless you put you send your wine in and you know so it's a lot, some of it's luck some of it is uh, opportunity so uh, I want to thank, there's a bunch of people who wrote some really nice things on you know Facebook and Twitter and Instagram response to that so that was really cool and uh hopefully this whole thing's heading in the right direction Uh, so I really appreciate it guys so that's all I got to say as an intro Um, that being said it all comes back to the people the people tasting the wine and that's kind of what Jenny and I first start to talk about so here we go with Jenny Dobson we saying you're doing some uh, wine courses now.
1: Wine courses, I think, uh, really important to share the passion about Definitely. wine, and the more people know about wine, the better they enjoy it as well.
0: Well, I think that's how I met you. Was I got uh, sort of sucked into the vortex at Tiawa? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Hey, what are you doing? Come back here!" You know. Yeah. So, uh, and then it's continued on from there, but to. Chinese folks so you said you're Chinese an... yes yeah. and so
1: um, a little bit of a challenge in uh, that the courses are translated um, so a, a bit of a, ch- a challenge for me to be concise um, in short bursts yeah so that it can be accurately translated um, I find it I'm still getting used to the fact that the feedback isn't immediate. It has to be translated as well. Yeah. Um. But been absolutely delighted with the first one. Very receptive people, and just loving having the knowledge
0: and visual aids and smell Vision, aids. And, yeah, vi- visual aid.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um. I'm. I think it's wonderful that people can see what they're smelling. So I've got half a dozen. Um, typically found in white wine aromas yeah. or red wine aromas. So there's a little glass with black currants in it. And uh, especially for people who are working in a different language, um, to see the black currant and smell it. And you don't find exactly the same smell in wine, but you can see hints of it and to have um, some time and, and some cinnamon and some vanilla and some lemon peel and passion fruit. Um, visual, very important. And doing wine courses at the winery, you can taste from barrel. Mm. You can see the pieces of equipment that people talk about the destemmer crusher. You can walk into the vineyard, see how the vines grow. So um, to do wine courses at a vineyard in a winery – Just are the added benefits. I I
0: think that stage of the game is like so important because I know for me, the um, you know everybody says when is your wine epiphany? Well, it was uh, probably a bunch of them, and definitely one of them was when I was in a class and they handed me fresh cut grass and I smelled Savion Blanc, you know, and I went ah, and these things started connecting in your brain, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's you need that foundation because so many people are just they think like you're full of shit they're just like do you really smell that in there why do they say there's that in there you know and then when it starts happening they go oh yeah you know and
1: And it's just the it's the magic of wine it's the the beauty of wine when you smell and you swirl the glass and you smell again and go oh oh oh, there's something else oh but i didn't quite get it i'm going to i'm going to smell again i'm and that is what we want people to enjoy about wines. The other thing that I did in this last course, which um, again, I was delighted how some of the people just really took it on board. Um, we were tasting a lot of red wines and tannin in red wine is um, such an important part of red wine. But tannin The taste of tannin is really the feel of tannin. So I gave everybody about a dozen different materials for them to feel Hmm. while they were tasting wine. And one of the um, uh, people on the course was totally into it. He was feeling with his fingers. He was tasting in his mouth. (laughs) And he worked out that this wine felt like this which was a bit of hessian, and he was really right because it was a young wine, and the tannins still had some grip to them, and then the older wine was like the piece of satin, mm. um, and for him, <coughs> that was a light bulb moment. Yeah. Um, so if you can help people enjoy wines, um, that's that's what the whole aim. Oh,
0: of the education, yeah. Of this,
1: the this. education's about.
0: Yeah. So you've added now your fifth sixth job to uh, mm. your, your resume at the current moment
1: because <laughs> you weren't yeah. busy enough you know? uh, yes it's it's um, but you know education is in some ways it's giving back to the industry that I've worked in for a long time mm. and it's I like I enjoy it um, I enjoy sharing the knowledge and it's just so good for wine as a whole but for Hawkes Bay so we start the course with talking about New Zealand, where New Zealand fits into the world of wine, and then Hawke's Bay. And we've got a lot of history about Hawke's Bay. And then we get into the various regions of Hawke's Bay. Um, it's all part of the knowledge. It's the story.
0: Mm. The, um, you know, I think we were due to sit down and chat again, especially as I start the sort of 2.0 of this podcast. Uh, We sat down a while ago and kind of went through your whole story. So I hope people uh, go back and listen to that. And don't mind the uh, throat lodged in my mouth if I'm (laughs) mumbling a little bit. It's (laughs) winter. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I had this uh, opportunity, uh uh-oh, that's okay. That's all right. Get rid of that Uh, When I had this opportunity to do um, a little series on the Giblet Gravels, I thought back to, I think it was one of the, maybe last year's annual vintage selection. And it was really funny because it was like more than half of the wines you had had your finger <laughs> on, you know? Uh, so just to start out with folks, uh, winemaker at uh, William Murdoch on organic production on the Giblet Gravels, uh, consultant winemaker, winemaker at Unison Vineyard, uh, red winemaker at Sacred Hill under that. You are Squalking. squawking magpie as well, uh, working with uh, Gavin on that. Who I, who I really hope to sit down with and chat. He's been a bit busy running around, but he's got kind of a he's got some of the history of the Gibber Gravels mm. that he's been a part of. Um, did I miss anything?
1: No, I think that's that's about <laughs> that's about it at the moment. So
0: uh, yeah, that was. I thought well, and then formally, Tiawa. Uh, I know you, you long time ago, you were at Sacred Hill before, but mm. is there any other? Uh, uh, in New cra-
1: Zealand, that's 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 about
0: it. So, mm. um, you know, a big part of this series is talking about that Appalachian, or mini-series, I should say, mm. and uh, who better than somebody who's worked it from so many different <laughs> parts. Uh, so that was one of the things I wanted to talk about today was, uh, did, you know, if a lot of people, if you've listened to you know, the previous five mm. episodes, I guess, uh, they would know a little more about the history, a little more about the terroir, but one of the things I thought I'd ask you about is the different areas of it mm. uh, and what you see and the differences uh, and well, site selection I've, and everything. I
1: started working in Hawke's Bay in 1996, and the, the really the sort of planting of the gimlet gravels began about 92, a little bit more, 93, 94, 95. Even in 96, there were large, large tracts of the Gimlet gravels that weren't planted. The plantings increased 97, 98, and... Was right it scattered through, or was it kind scattered. of spread? It, it wasn't, was scattered. didn't
0: like spread no. out from the road or anything no, like that. No, yeah.
1: no. And so at that time... Um, There wasn't any Gimlet Gravels association. But I think it probably started between Bruce Halliwell, Anna Barbara, and myself. Because we'd come from a European background, we said there's something quite special about the wines from this area. These soils make these wines really special. So we had a dinner with Steve Smith, and that's where the Gimlet Gravels all started from. <laughs> from there, Steve took over and drove the thing with John Hancock, um, Kate Radburn in the beginning, um, and the I think the recognition of those very special soils and the little microclimate that goes with them led to um, the forming of the Gimlet Gravels. And we did our first... Um, That was two thousand and ten. No, 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 no. Two thousand. That was the first um, uh, vintage of the that had. That was when we did a launch of the Gimlet Gravels two thousand. So from there, I've in fact in the intervening years worked with a lot of different vineyards within the Gimlet Gravels, and what I've, what I see is that. Yes, there's a Gimlet Gravels character, and that's to do with the fragrance, the spice, and the tannin makeup or the tannin um, structure of the wines from the Gimlet Gravels. It sets them apart from the Red Triangle, um, from the Mare Kakaho reds, from the, the reds that are grown by the sea out at Esk Valley. They've all got their own individual character. However, Within the Gimlet Gravels, we overlay the vineyards on that Gimlet Gravels character. So depending where the (laughs) vineyards are, because these vineyards, uh, their soil is made up of riverbeds, we've got gravels, we've got sand, and we've got silt. So the proportion of gravels, sand, and silt make each vineyard individual, and then Even within the Gimlet Gravels, we have microclimates. We've got Roy's Hill that sits up there. We've got the Nauroro River at one far end. The vineyards that I see that are under the lee of Roy's Hill are more sheltered, more protected. Probably, although I've got no (coughs) weather data to back this up, I'm just wondering if they're slightly warmer.
0: Then you've got just kind of sit. You think the heat sits in there. A it little sits bit. in
1: there. It's a little bit more sheltered. Mm. Then there's a cool breeze bro, blows around the back of Roy's Hill, and that will get. It blows over the back of the Tiawa vineyards down to the William Murdoch vineyards, and so comes through
0: here. Actually, comes through. Yep, you'd yeah. get it as well. Yeah, there's
1: that's... that little breeze, and it rustles the wind. It rustles the leaves in the in the summer. It just tempers a little bit of the heat that is trapped under Roy's Hill. I think the road has an influence as well. Um, It's a little bit warmer closer to the road than further away. Now, whether that's the road, the tarmac, or whether it's just protection from Roy's Hill and not getting this cooler breeze. Mm. So within the Gimlet Gravels, we have individual vineyard um, signatures. Um, I, with some of the vineyards that I work with, because I harp back to um, my Bordeaux roots, I see some of those warmer vineyards up by Roy's Hill. They to me, they're a little bit more plush. I give them a San Julien mm. type of um, character. The ones by the road um again this is perhaps an individual vineyard, but if I look at Unison, it's more like a Santa Steph. It's got structural tannins. Now, whether that's also affected by the fact that they're close planted vines, but they have a depth and a strength of tannin that I don't see in the plushness of the vineyards underneath Royce Hill. And then if you go to the other end, so, the one that gets this cooler breeze, they're more like Margot because they've got fragrance and aromatics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're very fine and elegant. So, they don't have the depth or richness of the vineyards underneath L- Roy's Hill or the structure of the ones by the road. So, I find that fascinating. And that's why, even though I'm making wines from different. From the Gimlet gravels, they're all different because the base material, the raw material, the vineyards are different. And then overlaid on that, because terroir isn't just stones and isn't just soil and and climate. There's the human influence on it. So how the vines are planted, um, how they're tended, all those things. How lead. old they are? Yeah. How old? It's all the human influence.
0: Because um, where? Yeah, I mean, where would you put William Murdoch in that? Because you know we've made some. Back out of there, and one of the comments I always get out of there is, and and I see it Mm. in the Syrahs as Mm. well, as, whoa, this wine's dusty and this is... There's an
1: earthiness that comes from the William Murdoch Vineyard, whether that reminds me of Bordeaux. Bordeaux, we talk about the earthiness of Bordeaux where we'll talk about bright fruit from New World Wines. Now, the earthiness in William Murdoch isn't the same as Bordeaux, Mm. but... It does have a dusty, earthy character that you don't find in some of the other Gimlet Gravels vineyards. Now, whether that's because the vineyard is farmed organically, could be. Whether it's just that, but I think it's probably a combination of the soils, which are very gravelly. There's not a lot of silts through the William Murdoch vineyards. You've got that cool breeze. The canopy is very different probably because the fact that it's farmed organically, there's a lot of competition for the vines. The canopy's very small, it's very open. Um, You do get this rustling of um, the breeze through the leaves. Um, All those add together to give us a very distinctive vineyard character.
0: That's for sure, yeah. Um, And then, yeah, what... What have you seen? One of, one of the one of the things interesting about your career is that you started, I guess this is pre Tiawa or maybe a vintage or two at Sacred Hill. And then, because mm-hmm, I've seen some old right. photos of mm-hmm. you uh, yes, yes, when the winery sorry. was being built. And then to now, I mean, what have you seen? First of all, I don't even, I, they probably didn't have Gimlet Gravels vineyards back then.
1: Um, well, they weren't Gimlet Gravels vineyards, but the Tiawa vineyards were in the Gimlet Gravels. Um Sacred Hill didn't, in 96, when I was at Sacred Hill, they didn't have vineyards in the Gimlet Gravels. Um, there weren't a lot of vineyards in yeah. the Gimlet Gravels then. Yeah. Um, so the Sacred Hill vineyard was planted in, in Scorking Magpie in 2002. Um, so very early Oh, but I suppose I'm just thinking
0: of uh, asking about vine age. But I suppose having known uh, Bruce and Barbara, you would know that vineyard from the wines yes. that were coming out yep. when they were first doing it. To so now. Their,
1: their vineyard was planted ninety four, ninety five. They made their sort of they made some wines in ninety six. Um, their ninety sevens sort of shot to fame, um, and. Uh, Ninety-eight, of course, was a pretty smart uh, vintage for Hawke's Bay, Mm. Um, but that was very early days for Gimlet Gravels. The vines were only five years old. Mm. So I think one of the things that I see with the Gimlet Gravels now is the consistency. We have had some brilliant vintages, but the consistency of the quality... um, coming through the gimlet gravels. And of course those vines now, even you know, the ones that were planted um in the two thousands, they're all <coughs> over two years old now. at uh, ten years old now. They're um which is still relatively young for vines, but um they're Hitting getting the vine age. Yeah, yes. Yeah. They're coming into their own. And so they're they're finding their natural balance. Um and I, I think we'll just keep seeing. Better and better wines out of the Gimlet Gravels.
0: Yeah, I think uh, this year, this past vintage was a, sort of a testament to what I've seen from what I remembered being at Unison when I worked with you there. That you know those 11 and 12 vintages are some of the I'm very proud of being mm. a part of making those wines yes. because tough vintages, uh, but they were clearly better than so many other regions in Hawke's Bay.
1: Exactly. And, you know, those vines at Unison planted in 94, um, they're 20-plus years old. Um, They've seen it. And look, I tell you what, they're they're in very good shape. Um, We're just actually uh, doing some replacement of the cordons um, in that front block uh, by the road. Um, So it's going to have new wood going up to the wire, but the roots and that's really what counts. those roots have been there since 94. Mm. Um, they're well established they they're not at the mercy of those late season rains. They're very they, they don't have lots of little feeder roots. Up at the top, of the soils they they're going right down, 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 down. So um, even we had a very, very, very dry summer. Um, that's the thing about the two thousand and seventeen vintage. It wasn't. Yes, we had lots of rain at vintage, but we had an amazing yeah, it was really
0: good, it sh- it shows in the dry yeah.
1: summer. So even it for me, it's the driest we've had since. Ninety-eight in January, um, at the Unison Vineyard, uh, they were only watering every second day, um, and then quite, quite only only a little bit mm. um, because those um, roots were down. They they weren't needing the constant watering, despite it being incredibly dry. Um, so and vine windy. age, yes, yeah, yes. So windy this summer. So vine age. Um, It's still it's still coming in the Gimlet Gravels, um, which is going to be fun.
0: Keeps going. Mm. Put my headphones on just to make sure it's all sounding just lovely. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, what else is going on? Uh, I also wanted to talk to you about your uh, your Fiano project. Uh,
1: Fiano. Well, Fiano is a a Italian grape variety, and it's grown. um, Its home is on the slopes of Mount Vesuvius. Uh, So. Down by Naples, grown Mm. in, of course, much warmer climate than Hawke's Bay. Um, It's also grown quite a lot in Sicily. Uh, Very old grape variety, um, thought to be the grape variety that was used for Roman wines, Vin Appium. Um, And.
0: uh, You have to do a release party, like a Fellini film or something. Awesome! (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> could be fun yes so fiano
0: pass that one by the council though you, know. mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: you offering your house yeah. for that uh, sure, sure. <laughs> we
0: have an italian here you know yes
1: exactly resident <laughs> italian we could uh just just go and keep it all in the in the right vein that's right so fiano white grape variety um And very little planted in New Zealand at the moment, a little bit in um, Gisborne that I know of. But there's a planting along Natarawa Road, which is the very first planting in New Zealand, and it was planted in 2000.
0: Oh, I didn't realise it was that Oh, Oh. 2010, sorry, sorry, 2010. 2010. Got got a
1: decade out. 2010.
0: (laughs) The years go quick. They (laughs) do. Um,
1: And the very first one was made... We made it in 2013. Um, I read about it, I tasted Fiano's, but it was my first play with Fiano and I was just delighted. It's an amazing grape variety in that it has aromatics that you don't find in our standard New Zealand grape varieties. It's not like Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay. Um, it has apples in it, sometimes red, sometimes green. It's got apricots. It's got white flowers. It's got a little bit of citrus. So aromatically, it's interesting. I'm now seeing, as it ages, you get a hazelnut character, which is really awesome.
0: Yeah, I was. Th- I mean, that's why I love Italian whites. They're probably, I don't know, they continue to fascinate me. Some of my favorite wines, if not my favorite wines in the world, and. I hope it's a compliment to, that when I tasted your Fiano, that I there was a little bit of that there. I don't know if it was the hazelnut or it's like a mm. tea leaf kind of yep. thing going on there. There's this. Mm. It's not a green thing because it's 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 a ripe thing in the in the Italian wines that I get, but. I've I've asked around about it and some people think oh maybe it's a little vine stress or something like that but it's no, it almost goes across yeah it, go, <laughs> it goes across not those vines but mm. I'm mm. saying some yeah, of the Italian, Italian. Mm. Uh, it, it almost goes across a lot of our as well mm. I mean maybe not you know some cheap pinot grigio or something mm. like that but uh, a lot of stuff from the north and and definitely into Tuscany the vernaccia mm. wine things like that that I always there's just this hint of Herbs in there, mm-hmm. and, but it's more yes, like a tea leaf is. herb yep. or yeah, something. It's a yeah. dried, yeah. dried herb. Yeah.
1: Um, so I find the Fiano fascinating aromatically, but in the mouth, it's it's got a textural richness mm. and a boldness. It's a powerful white, and yet it's refreshing. Um, and I think that's growing Fiano in our our climate, which isn't as warm as Naples. Um, it maintains its acidity. Uh, it's got very thick skins. That helps. Um, <laughs> so this is a white that we pick late April. So way after all other whites, bar perhaps albariño, have been picked, um, it's not that susceptible to botrytis because it's got thick skins. So part of the, the thick skin, um, you do get... A bit of phenolics, a little bit of tannin from the skin, which again balances the richness of the wine, keeps it fresh. Uh, So great, great variety. Probably for a grower, not that attractive in that the yields are relatively low because they're quite open bunches. So the weight per bunch is isn't up. so good.
0: Or it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up.
1: <laughs> and then, because you've got these thick skins, your yield, your juice yield is quite low. But for a grower maker, awesome grape yeah, variety. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the planting at Bushhawk Vineyard is planted on pumice soils, so volcanic soils, which, you well, Mount Vesuvius, volcanic sure. soils. Sicily. It's feeling yeah. at home. Yeah. Um, it's a, a great variety that is quite vigorous, so it's challenging in the vineyard to keep it open, um, but very rewarding as well. So
0: yeah, I just I don't know, this just drifted into my head, but you were mentioning that Bush Hawk site, and uh, I mean, we're talking about the Gibbup gravels, but and then I live on a completely different kind of site here, mm. and you know. I just start thinking about all the different great sites around here and the triangle. And, you know, they're all, you know, I, oh. I, that I s- almost slipped the, my mind. And I've, I've, you know, as mm-hmm. you know, I've had a friend, a couple different friends who've lived in that house right on the Bush Hawk mm-hmm. vineyard or mm-hmm. on the second level. And you stand up there and you go, well, this is completely different than, and it's you don't kind of don't realize where the sun is until you're mm-hmm. actually on the vineyard. You think, Oh, that's over there. And it's not facing the right mm-hmm. direction. But yeah, it's just exposed there, I think, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and then even across the street where I used to live on the Bridge Paw Vineyard, that I always felt was like a little heavier, and mm-hmm. their Syrahs can be a little bigger from that, mm-hmm. that one there. So it's just, yeah, it's, I just feel like it's such early days here. like.
1: <laughs> and, you hmm. know, we, there's, it is a bit of a mindset, it's a bit of a philosophy. Um, it depends on the, winemaker who uh, may be dictated or, 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 or guided by the company that they work for, um, you can express the terroir, or you can dumb the terroir down and make a global wine. So if we go back to the Gimlet Gravels, with the tannic structured Unison wines, We could, with manipulation in the winery, make them a little bit more plush, but then they wouldn't be true to the vineyard.
0: Yeah, well, they're unique wines. So
1: we've got all these different sites within Hawke's Bay with different soils, with different climates, with different grape varieties. We could make individual wines from them, which you have to get out and hand sell and tell their story. Or we can dumb down the vineyard character and make them global wines that tick a lot of boxes but then they're the same as lots of other wines and what is going to make them disinc- distinctive? Their price. Yeah. Or their low price. Um, so but if you go down the road to make an individual wine, you also have to tell the story.
0: You know, Hence seems, what you're doing. Yeah, now. yeah, it seems to be where, I don't know, that's certainly where uh, I've had any success or the only future I have, I'm not going to compete with uh, the delegates of the world and stuff like mm-hmm. that, um, who are making you know commercial wines that go all over the world. Uh, and they certainly have their fair share of, of vineyards around. And
1: equally as challenging for a winemaker to make, to make a wine of consistency and of good quality every vintage yeah
0: and i as
1: a real challenge and a real art to that it's different to making the best wine possible that reflects the soil and the vintage uh,
0: yeah, and i find that even a Vintage variability, all that stuff is good for me, you know, because we're selling in restaurants, you know, every you want them to re-up on the next vintage and say, well, this happened this year and I'm out there uh, selling it. And so are, you know, like Unison is a great example, Mm -hmm. you know, though they have the same vineyard every year, there's a lot of difference between vintage there and different wines and the blends are different Mm -hmm. and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's definitely uh, harder in certain ways to get out and sell that, but I also think that's where... I don't know, the market or where people are headed. And it's certainly where I think 90% of the New Zealand productions sort of need to be because you're just racing to the bottom otherwise. We're never mm-hmm. going to compete with South America and even France and you know places that just do amazing amounts of wine. Uh, maybe some Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc mm-hmm. can do that, but the rest of us, there's yeah. just no way.
1: Diversity. Um, people like – they like to be – wowed by what's in the glass and there'll be occasions where they're not they'll just swig down what's there because it's washing down the food and and they're talking and whatever and so that's a wine for that occasion um but i think people do enjoy the diversity in wine um they want a glass of wine and they want it to be different to the one the night before or the week before or whatever. And so um, this is where your individual character, and certainly for for people coming into the region, um, they don't want to go from winery to winery, cellar door to cellar door, and taste the same thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think there's there's a lot of uh, wineries that are... Well, certainly have been hip to it for a long time. Like Clearview, I think you know they do like thirty wines, mm. and they have and they do so much to their tasting room. And you know, Matt's continued that mm. uh, with making some really interesting stuff and trying this. And you know, we're, you know they, they're obviously going to do three or four different Chardonnays, but you know, oh, we got two barrels of Malbec, and we got this and that. And uh, uh, so, but I also see it in you know a winery like Ash Ridge who are trying to do, you know, they they sort of have their you know, they're not a big production, but Mm -hmm. they, you know, they have their red blend and they have their Chardonnay and, and they have some staples, Hawks Mm -hmm. Bay staples are really trying to do some interesting Mm -hmm. stuff too, because they see the value in that. And, uh, I just saw they released their individual Syrah clone wines, uh, Dopio, I think it's called, Mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty cool idea. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, that'll all be sold to their wine club or their Mm -hmm. people and that pass through, there might be a little bit left every year, but. I doubt it. With uh, I think it's only a barrel or two mm. each. You know, mm. it's it's kind of interesting. You know, uh, and uh, but I think it was um, uh, Milton. We did an orange wine tasting up with Hayden, and yes. he said he was like, oh, "I'm just so curious about this because they did a family of twelve meeting, mm-hmm. and like ten of the winery. They always bring wines mm-hmm. to taste this, taste this, and he said mm-hmm. ten of the wineries showed up with." Skin fermented (laughs) wines like in one year, you know, (laughs) and he's like, what the hell's going on here? And it was just because, you know, whether or not they were going to commercially release them or anything, Mm -hmm. it was just like, they want to try it. They want to do something different. And and some of those, they're all medium sized wineries Mm -hmm. to big wineries. I mean, Craggy Range, I don't think of as a tiny winery, you know, they have some big production stuff. So, uh, I don't know if they were one of the ones that did it, but I just thought that was pretty interesting because he was like, wait a second, what's going on here? Everybody is getting, you know, they're starting to see that, you know. You, you in order challenge to challenge a little bit. Yeah, and you, mm. it's kind of cool because mm. you could still do your staples and you still have your go-to wines, mm. but then it just brings such upside to your, your winery yeah. and your yeah. your brand, well, if you will. Well,
1: certainly, um, it's a very different mentality um crushing 10,000 10, tons of sauvignon blanc to um 60 tons of mixed variety uh within Hawke's Bay mm. so it, it and it can be very challenging in a winery that's doing 10,000 tons of sauvignon blanc to actually find live, live with the, yourself <laughs> to find
0: the impetus <laughs> yeah
1: And to find the little change, or not little change, very big mind shift to then do something quite hands-on and um, different. Mm. Probably not set up for it either in the winery or the marketing department um, to handle something really different. So it really, for Hawke's Bay, boutique,
0: yeah, well, it's kind of interesting. I was just thinking that
1: the home of boutique wines, you, uh, and we should all be doing. You were for two two
0: two productions that are mm-hmm. kind of interesting. In that Sacred Hill, they have some large production stuff, mm-hmm. and then you know Unison and William uh, Murdoch are like com- could be completely tiny. different. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we've talked about. Uh, how tough it can be for a big company to pivot and shift and to say, Whoa, this is something we want to try mm-hmm. uh, and m- to make an impact, where because of the numbers and the, yes. everything is complexities. Just yeah, there's complexity. It's very hard
1: to um, go simplicity when you have a lot of complexity.
0: Mm. So, yeah, it must be interesting on a daily basis. You must.
1: <laughs> deal it's, with. It's, it's challenging, and it's probably one of the reasons that. Um, I moved into a more hands-on consultancy role. Um, The challenges, um, the diversity within my working life, um, the mental shift as well as everything else that has to go on, it it keeps me very alert. Um, At times I think I've got too much. No. <laughs> I'd like to step back a wee bit. Um, well, it's
0: funny. I just said you were outside and you were calling me because you didn't realize. Uh, I didn't realize I wasn't answering the door probably because I had my headphones on or something. I thought you would just walk in. But I just looked out the window. I said, oh, Jenny's on the phone. She'd probably be talking to somebody for the next 20 minutes like normal time when I try to meet up with you. So I didn't think anything of it. And I was, like, oh, I'll just let her finish her call, you know. <laughs> no, I
1: think you know, we talk about wines being diverse and I love the diversity of wine, but I also love the diversity of This business. My job. Yeah, your job. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I can. This morning I was doing analysis. If I was working in a big company, you'd
0: be, wouldn't be doing that. it. I yeah. wouldn't be
1: doing analysis. I'd be asking somebody else to do it. Tomorrow I'm going to be racking barrels. <laughs> in a big company, you sit at a desk. Um, yeah, I can't yesterday do Yesterday I was doing blending. Um, And a lot of paperwork, Uh, the diversity keeps it real.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's nice to sit in front of the computer for Mm. a couple hours and regroup on some things and get organized, but I I can't do it for much. Mm. That's part of the reason why I do this is because it keeps me talking to different people and I I find it interesting. Um, But even here working from home mostly now, uh, if there's no – you know winery work to go be done mm. or go look after that i have to go out and mow the lawn or i have to go well, garden i was or... just driving <laughs>
1: along here and thinking oh i've got to go and prune that fiano be a yeah. perfect day for pruning today yeah. oh god i can't do it i've got other things to do so dan if you need to do some exercise you can oh. go and prune some fiano <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah mm. oh man
0: mm. i haven't done uh I definitely put my time in pruning for a while there. Mm. I haven't done too much pruning in the last
1: few um, years. Pruning on a day like today, and it's, it's and nice. of course it's, you can't see that. It's beautifully sunny, and and it's a nice day. It's it's very good, and it it brings you brings you back to where it all starts. Mm.
0: So, yeah, I get that with my rose bushes now, and mm. uh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I have a feeling there's going to be some. Uh, pruning and things being done in Martinborough from now on, so I'm just getting more and more involved with that vineyard down there, which is pretty awesome. exciting. Uh, certainly um, with the new... We had an intern this year, and we're not going to do it next year, so I'm just going to be down there. For, I was down for harvest back mm-hmm. and forth a bunch this year already, but um, I think I'll be you know, doing three, four day chunks down there and things, awesome. so it should be pretty good uh, and a nice change to... Because it's been... Yeah, it's been sort of touch and go with the Pinot all these years.
1: Yeah, to have your your hands on the Pinot, um, your hands in the Pinot is actually really important. You know, so many decisions are um, made. It just has to be babied, you know. Ferment is it's plunging your hands in. It's smelling it. Um, it's listening to it. Uh, that's the, the ferments are so different. Well, There's it's really no good about recipe. James's
0: production is it's all one ton fermenters yeah so it's just really like mm-hmm. there's you can be you, you first of all you have to be but you you can really treat everything so mm-hmm. specific mm-hmm. uh and keep a really close eye on things you know there's not just like one, one big ferment and a couple small mm. ones it's everything's these tiny ferments so not tiny but you know one one, one, one ton. ton for pinot is really nice it's, little, nice. it's really nice. Good. Mm. Um, and a little easier to plunge as well. Oh, you know?
1: <laughs> Delightful to plunge. Yeah, especially when In fact, any... one of the uh, one of the dangers is over plunging. <laughs> yeah. Because it is so easy. So um, it's having the courage not a gentle to, hand. Very yes. gentle. Um, at Sacred Hill, we have lady plungers. Versus men plungers, so at certain times in the ferment, we need a lady. plunge. A lady
0: plunge, yeah. Mm,
1: you just need to be gentle, yeah. Not beaten around.
0: Yeah, we have uh, a little bit like that at Parat- Paratua, where we do just a little, a little rumble, little rumble, little yes. rumble, just
1: just, just a, a gentle um, tickle.
0: Mm, yeah, mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's fine with Pinot. You just have to. Which is talk about something else that's totally different is you have to just baby 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 the whole time and then mm-hmm. all the way and then get to get it just get it in the bottle and then you have to wait a year <laughs> it's just frustrating mm. but it's amazing you know but that's
1: so. I, I think that's um the beauty of this oh, well it can be any size production it's just knowing your wines you've got to be intimately involved vineyard ferment barrels. Um, it's, it's a total involvement um, in wines and in the, the life of your wine. It, it changes and then you don't, when you make decisions, they're not a spot decision based on what the wine, how the wine's tasting on a specific day. If you've followed it from the vineyard through the fermenting vat, continually following it during its ageing, you know the wines; they're a little bit like children. You've brought them up. You've brought them up. You know you've done everything right, and they go off the rails.
0: Give them a chance. You yeah. just
1: say that's all right. That's part of their development. They'll come right. They'll be fine because we know, we know these, we know these children. They will be fine. <laughs> we'll allow it's that allowing them to develop, um, but having done the work earlier on it's the same with with wines you know them you know them um are intimately involved with them yeah like children
0: one of the things uh i definitely learned from you i was i just spoke with richard painter like a week ago which we will be releasing this week um one of the things i learned from him was like you know if a tank's exploding don't panic you're gonna make it work that was the first time i had Mm. seen like one of my sort of first real vintage and when i worked with him but, uh, which is so important, you know, like, oh, this tank's just spilling wine everywhere. What are we going to mm. do? Okay, let's not panic and let's do the, uh, which I'm sure you have that same attitude. But um, the, in, a, in a sort of different light, was more when I was sort of early days of, of Decibel and then working uh, on some of the Unison stuff with you was, you know, we taste something and you'd go hmm, let's see what that looks like tomorrow, you know, yeah. like let's exactly. not make any rash decisions yeah, exactly. here. You know, we don't need to add this or do no. this yet. Like, you know, Stand just... Stand back. Yeah.
1: Just maybe it's not the best. Look, if we... It's a minefield. If you think about tasting, it's so subjective. When we're working in a winery... We try to make our tasting as objective as possible because we need to be able to draw conclusions, make decisions. However, you've got to be extremely honest with yourself for a start off. I'm feeling a bit under the weather. I haven't actually got a sore throat, but there's something tickling in there. Well, actually, maybe my taste buds aren't as good as they should be. I've just cleaned my teeth. Yeah. Ah, well, okay, don't judge the wine because you've got a lot of chemicals in your mouth.
0: It's where your, was it, hazelnuts? Pine nuts come in. (laughs) Pine nuts. Clear
1: clear the palate. Yeah. So there's just the physical stuff about you. What's, What's the aromas in the room? Are they, have they, my, my, Sensory perception, aromatically, has had to adapt to a background smell, but has that deadened all the other aromas in the wine? Um, What's the temperature of the wine? Um, I'm tasting a red wine and it's only at 10 degrees because it's at cellar temperature. Uh, The tannins are going to be far more aggressive than if I tasted it at 20 degrees. So... If we're trying to make an objective decision or an objective tasting, which is (laughs) very subjective, we have to be (coughs) extremely aware of our own palate and how we taste so we can be objective. Um, I still believe the best tool that a winery has is the winemaker's palate. Yeah. It's not the spectro in the lab. Um, we love to have scientific evidence that backs up our palate, but in the end, I can look at a lab result and say, uh-uh. Yeah, but... There's, there's, <laughs> a, there's a mistake there because that doesn't taste like that. Could we redo the lab result yeah um so also looking tasting after with, your other palate, with,
0: with other people too tasting
1: well. with other people everybody has um
0: that's one a thing you, you've always done too is might be first year intern
1: mm-hmm. come
0: over here taste this what do you think mm-hmm. you know yep. and uh and jason's really good at that too is like he gets it's nothing's decided unilaterally mm-hmm. you know it's we yep. all talk and discuss. you know eventually it's his decision or exactly. your decision or my decision but you it's know?
1: it's You, when you're tasting with somebody who's got a good consistency in their palate, um, it can be somebody um, quite new to wine, um, but the consistency of their palate, which you can pick up once you taste them a wee bit, um, you become very attuned and their input becomes extremely valuable um, because everybody's palate is a little bit different and so when somebody somebody will have high points where they can pick up something that you can't pick up um, and therefore when they say oh I'm seeing this you go oh hold on better taste again better reassess okay now I've got a better understanding of that wine. My decision will be made a little bit like this. Yeah,
0: I think we're all going to like different stuff as well. We do, you know. But it's just there is probably come to some sort of agreement. The one thing I was just thinking about when you said uh, we were talking about going back the next day, mm. I was just I'm working on a, a small, a little class with uh, a guy who's a psalm at Del Frisco's in Philadelphia, and he just sat for one of his. You know, psalm exams, mm-hmm. and I'm th- and I was just thinking, God, that must be really, really tough. Oh yes, like because it's one day. You know, mm-hmm. we, you know, even if we're in the middle and we have decisions to make, you could be like, mm, maybe not today is the best day to taste, or exactly. let's go back and visit. Like they you have don't to, have that; to they me. have to nail it. Yeah. Like that and,
1: well, you know, I guess it's a bit like a, a musician for somebody like a psalm a, a who's going for an exam like that. A musician may have to look after their fingers because they're a pianist or um, he's got to look after his palate.
0: Totally. You got to be like, mm. ready and in the mindset mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and then forget about the written the written exam. <laughs> That's a whole nother thing. But, you know, that, that pressure of, um, which I've done, you know, I've sat for some exams mm-hmm. and things and. Uh, the best you can do is just relax and, and just trust your gut, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. try not to get to and get don't lost. clean
1: your teeth with toothpaste before you yeah, go to your, yeah. <laughs> your tasting exam.
0: <laughs> yeah, don't eat a peanut butter sandwich no. right before you go in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, yeah, that's so uh, that's but it, you know, it's they're, I, I think they're, that's why they're so valued too. And I love going on sales trips and talking to these people is because mm-hmm. you know, you get. Sometimes, a lot of times, it, it gives you confidence in your wine, too, mm-hmm. because, no, I get this and that, yeah. and, mm-hmm. uh, and then a lot of times, it's, oh, have you tasted these wines? I just was with a guy in Auckland, mm-hmm. um, a Mexican Somme, by the way, in yeah, Auckland, yeah. and he uh, was telling me about, because I poured him some of my Malbec, about a Malbec from Argentina that I had to try called yeah. Animal
1: Animal, animal Malbec. Wow. So
0: I just I, he introduced me to the importer, mm. and I got some sent down here. And uh, I was actually talking to Gordon and Lauren from um, uh, from Ash Ridge about doing a little Malbec mini symposium, mm. mini, mm. mini, mini day. I no, know yeah.
1: this because Clearview are doing a Malbec. Yeah, Matt,
0: we could get involved. Yeah. Who else is doing it? And
1: straight Malbec.
0: Yeah, I mean that was part of what I wanted to do. Is people are doing it every year, and, mm. and Gordon's got stuff going back for years, and mm. not only you know a lot of times um, he's certainly he, you know he's been doing a Malbec dominant yes like top top wine mm. in New Zealand now for twenty years at least, and so uh, and he deals with the varietal uh, you know both in the gravels and yes. up at, at Esk, uh, but it's an interesting varietal. It's it's it's. You know, I don't know if I always found it interesting, and I sometimes and then there's a lot of people who say, oh, it's not, you know, the truth. So there's some stuffy people who say it's not a true Bordeaux, and, and I don't really care about any of that. Yeah. I just find it to be a lot like Syrah, and that it's acid driven. Mm, mm, mm. And I found that, uh, you know, the 16 higher end one yeah. that we did is really reminding me of sort of Southern France. You know, these wines that have great mm. acid, uh, mm. but still ripe, dark fruit, yes. but they're not heavy at all. And, uh, but there's you know, so many different... Well, you
1: went to Coor, didn't you? Did you go to Coor? No, I was almost oh. going to go and
0: then... Uh, because,
1: of course, that's really the home yeah. of Malbec. And um, those are black wines, the black wines I've had a lot of, of them, Kaor. yeah. I go reach for mm. them a lot
0: now. Yeah. Mm. Um, So we're going to try to get that together and and do – even if we just do it here at Mm. the house one day, Mm. you know, and maybe – Bring
1: your Malbecs. Bring your
0: Malbecs. Uh, I would like to, you know, maybe involve not just winemakers but a few people who appreciate, Mm. you know, your sort of Jeff Kellys and guys Mm. like that who uh, would maybe bring a wine but also just give some feedback that uh, Mm. uh, not just have a bunch of winemakers in the room but people – some. Some good, trusted consumers as well.
1: Exactly. Well, this is the most, consumers that are the best, best people because, after all, without them, we wouldn't be here. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> what we're trying to do is make something for them to enjoy. That's right. And that's, you know, enjoyment is really important. It's just like a happy kitchen produces happy food. Enjoying making wine is part of, making happy wines for yeah, people to yeah, enjoy. Yeah, you can, you
0: can feel it all through mm. the, the wine, the brands, all yeah. that, you know. You kind Enjoyment of feel like it's, you know.
1: is really uh, important.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's again, one of the things I like about going out and talking about the wines and mm. selling them is I get excited for people to try them and get the feedback, you know. Uh It's funny because another thing about Gordon he said when I talked to him was very similar to what you just said. He goes, you know, I've... I've gone all through these tasting uh, descriptors for the last forty years or whatever, and he goes, "I just come back to one: delicious." <laughs> <laughs> is it delicious? You know, and and yeah. that's and is the wine enjoyable? You know, is what you yep. know.
1: And yeah. well, who cares? In what the it end, is? we're drinking it for enjoyment. Yeah, for yeah. pleasure. Yeah. Um, so uh, probably, I think I say to most people in um, tasting classes, "Do you like it?" Hmm. That's number one. Do you like it? And then we we will have a little uh, delve into why, why you like
0: it. Or why not. Yeah. Or why not. Yeah. Cool. I think we'll leave it there, Jenny. Good. I think uh, we'll probably sit down again soon. Well, maybe in a year's time or something. Give me some time. I'm sure we can come up with more and more subjects. But thanks for stopping by know your schedule's real busy.
1: Absolute pleasure. Cheers.
0: Thank you, Jenny. She's the best. Too easy to talk to. That's not even fair. I'd like to say I, I don't know, she did all the work, but it's not like I get paid to do this thing. But man, that is easy when you have somebody like that in the chat. Um, You know, I I find my curiosity gets heightened whenever I speak with Jenny, and maybe that's just something about her that brings it out. her peers and certainly younger winemakers. uh, I hope you guys appreciate that and can feel, I mean, you're you're talking to somebody who's been in the industry for a long, long time. One thing we didn't get into is, she started uh, with Steven Sperrier in France at a wine school uh, and started in education and, you know, has become one one of the world's most renowned winemakers. I mentioned in that interview that the annual vintage selection of the Giblet Gravels, like half the wines she's had a hand in, and um, for her to be, you know, educating some people from, you know, from China and another language, and she's just finding the love and the and getting, finding, um, you know, she gets as much out of it as they do, uh, just sort of shows you what kind of person she is. So, uh, thanks again, and um, yeah, yeah, check us out on Facebook. Decibel Wines Instagram and Twitter at Decibel Dan. Give us a follow, check in. I uh, got some big trips heading up, heading coming up, heading to Christchurch for the first time next week. I hope to meet some people down there, and then after that, I uh, will be going to Australia for the first time. So who knows? Maybe I'll sneak in a podcast or two on the travels. But I'm still trying to focus mostly on Hawks Bay with this thing. So more to come on that. Uh, I actually don't even know who's going to be next, but I I have a couple ideas, but uh, stay tuned. Cheers.